My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voices of Wrestling Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Kids, do you like professional wrestling? Well, we like professional wrestling too. This is Shake Them Ropes. I am Jeff Hawkins. He is Chris Novembrino. And uh, we're going to skip the banter because two big uh, passings in the world of wrestling this week. Um, You want to start with Terry Funk or you want to start with Bray Wyatt? I did not ask. I feel I like Bray's maybe the quicker one and we want to do Terry longer. So let's talk about Bray. Okay. Uh, yeah, Bray Wyatt, aka Wyndham Rotunda, age 36, passing away. Uh, Fightful reported the family allowed to say it was from a heart attack. Uh, Bray had had issues post COVID with some heart damage. Uh, and there, there were always rumors that you know he was ready to come back, he was ready to come back. He made that appearance at was it Extreme Rules or yeah they they Rumble. launched a new like Alice in Wonderland faction yeah sort of yeah where they're going to they be different characters half, half those guys are like there was like the dyad and it was rumored to be like Dutch and uh, and Vincent from uh, uh, from ROH and I think uh, Cameron Grimes I think we're all part of it or rumored to be part of it at one time but yeah and they never did a match but he did that he did that speech about you know how much wrestling meant to him and all those other things before doing all that. And that was, you know, that was a great promo as well. Uh, you know, of course, son of Wyndham Rotunda, grandson of Blackjack Mulligan, the Rotundas and the Wyndhams, uh, very famously intertwined. Uh, Bray's first wife was Mike Rotunda's daughter. But Mike Rotunda was married to Barry Wyndham's sister. So it's just, if that was something I didn't know when they said he was a third generation wrestler. I'm like, what are you talking about? Mike Rotunda's dad didn't wrestle. But uh, as a may a couple on my part, originally brought up on the main roster as Husky Harris as part of the new Nexus for CM Punk. Uh, goes back down to Florida Championship Wrestling, rebrands himself in this. I, I would I would describe Bray Wyatt as Max Cady meets Waylon uh, Mercy. Yeah, meets... it was like a more more Waylon Mercy or more Max Cady Waylon Mercy. 
yeah, meets Kevin Sullivan in some ways as the cult yeah. leader type thing, a white trash cult leader from the Everglades or what have you, by the name of Bray Wyatt, who had a family and followers and all those other things. Uh, Bray, the Bray character. Um, see, I liked the original incarnation. I, I, I loved, you know, the, the rocking chair and, you know, uh, uh, I forget I forget the name of the Mark Crozer song that they used. I want to call it uh, "Living in Fear," but that's yeah, not it. Like, I just remember like that line of like "Catching Flies." Yes, and, it yeah. is. But the entrance at WrestleMania that first oh my one was god, great. It's so mean, good! It's a, that, like, with a the live band entrance. was awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and as it went on, the kind of the creative instincts I understood them. I just didn't like them. And and that's you know a shame, uh, in some ways. I don't want to disparage him, but in terms of matches, uh, the things I, I loved him as Husky Harris, uh, actually because you saw the groundwork of a big guy who was willing to throw his body around, and that's what I really liked about him. I like big guys who will use their weight. They're not just standing there and plotting. They're they're, you know, they're. Th- he, I mean, he. <laughs> He threw himself at people at times, especially as Bray with that cross body block. Oh my God. Yeah, he absolutely would. And, you know, and the Centon, of course. Uh, matches of his um, offhand, I guess, the one with uh, Daniel Bryan at Royal Rumble in Philly, I believe, because that was the year that the crowd turned because they wanted uh, they wanted Daniel Bryan to be last. No, 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 that wasn't Philly. That was another they didn't town. Want, they didn't want Daniel Bryan in that uh, Wyatt's faction at all. Well, no, but they wanted him in that Royal Rumble as number 40. And right. That'd be Rey right. Mysterio. Right. And they didn't want that. Um, One of the best programs they did, and it happened by somewhat by accident, was, of course, the, the Wyatts against the Shield. And it was just two heel groups who were kicking ass. And eventually they met. And people love it. And they had that, uh, they had the, the three on three at elimination chamber. That was pretty fit. I wanted that one to be in the chamber. I wanted, you know, start two members, have the other four in the pods, but it didn't, but it was still an awesome match. Um, you know, of course it eventually evolved into things like Randy Orton joining the Wyatt family and the fiend. But I've, uh, I've laid the groundwork, Chris, your thoughts right now. I mean, I think the running theme throughout Bray Wyatt's career is there were a number of different times where it seemed like they were finding something with him, but the creative execution just wasn't there by this company. Uh, I think especially with the original Wyatt family like arrangement with the, the cabin and everything, that's such strong world building. It worked for this character it had like an undertaker like vibe to it but it was like a new spin on that as you mentioned waylon mercy max katie like you're you're bringing in a lot of like sort of different interesting elements but then there will always always be these missteps like teasing sister abigail and never having a good payoff for it um and then a number of other times like the fiend was the fiend good i would argue no um and a number of these other iterations of bray there was always something there. There was always something that like captured correctly. It it felt like it should hit and he moved merchandise and 
I feel like people wanted to love him, but the company never wanted to fully execute a push with him. They liked the entertainment aspects of him, but they didn't realize that in doing the entertainment aspects, you had to keep him as a serious wrestler. And I think that was part of the problem. And the other problem, of course, is uh, what I would like to call the new Undertaker syndrome, where we have to make him magical and spooky and supernatural. That's hard to keep up in something that is, quote-unquote, I mean, it's, you know, the fake but real world of professional wrestling, where you have guys who can with magical powers that that tends to be a problem uh and 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 also it was just like one of those things where it's like once you hit this creative thing you need to back off of it occasionally you can't hit it every week otherwise it start people start to turn on it and i think people would turn on it here and there i mean you had that hell in the cell against seth with the giant mallet. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, there are so many bad Bray Wyatt moments too. There's the one yes. with the holograms. Oh yeah, it's the, the oh the the oh and at that was at WrestleMania because that was yeah there, yeah where, you know the maggots on the on the uh, on on the apron. You, you had the the thing with Alexa Bliss and the goo. You remember that one? At, oh, at the, the other goo. WrestleMania, it was against yes. it was him and uh, Orton, I think. And then it was like uh, the black goo and the jack-in-the-box thing. I mean, Vince's uh, creative instincts to go big with spectacle with a creative character and a creative person as much as... Uh, to me, and I'm going to say this with all due respect, uh, Bray Wyatt is has a lot of the Alistair Black instincts, but with better ideas. If he's the yes. force behind it. I mean... I, I would have let him at least, like, sort of explain. There are times where it made sense. Like, the John Cena and Bray Wyatt thing, I thought was actually pretty darn good man i actually uh, kind of liked that to be honest i like that such a, a lot. weird it was such a it was weird, so weird surreal. and different and yeah. like i thought it was this really interesting meta. Meta, 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 meta recap of cena's whole career i no i it stands out to me as one of his best matches it was and almost I, I, john cena's a christmas carol where he's yeah. visited by the spirits of him past and stuff it was really cool. I I, I liked the idea. Uh, it was out of the it, box thinking, is what it was. It was out of the box thinking, yeah. and like I think that just never really works for Vince, who really only sees booking in fifty fifty patterns. And you know, this guy's got to jump this guy, and also something crazy's got to happen at the end of the match. Like from a technical acting perspective, he is really good on those Firefly Funhouses. I mean. Like not just oh, those good, are great not, too. Not just right? good yeah. for a wrestler, but really good with you know doing kind of, you know the big reactions and the uh oh and uh, you know really buying into the children's uh host thing, and you know for all the negativity that Vince gave him about his body and stuff, there were times there where he got pretty ripped, um. For his also body true. Type like too. like when he he came back as the fiend, he was pretty darn ripped. Yeah, yeah. Um, always an interesting promo. Uh 
<laughs> really just it's there's a lot there and i think and i mean this in like a really respectful way in the greatest hits edit he's going to seem like a very very good if not great wrestler because when you edit the high moments there's quite a lot there that's actually pretty good the issue was always the week to week the the week to week booking patterns and the week to week execution with him it is not going to be told in that greatest hits edit and that yeah, and that's su- kind of my thought on him yeah the supercut you, you know you get the sister abigail and ray which looks awesome that one time you get uh you know the uh and, and some of the programs they did with him are like that roman program where he's they're teaming together even though they're about to i think they're about to have a feud where he's pinning he's pinning alberto del rio and he points with the like finger gun and Roman Spears Sheamus at the three count is, is one of the most awesome, both shot and timing things you'll ever see on a live wrestling show. I thought, I thought that was just awesome when I saw that. And you know, it, it's those things where it's like, God, I'm so sick of this character. And then they'd pull something out and go, okay, that's interesting. Like the hype videos before they got to the main roster there was a weird socio-political thing to them as well about, you know, this is, you know, poor people around here are looking for a way out and I'm that way or something to that effect. And you're like, all right, there's some interesting scenery to chew with this character. That's more than we're coming in to take over. But I mean, even from beginning where on the Titan Tron, you'll see them with the lantern and they go, we're here and they blow out the candle and it goes into the baseline of the Mark Crozier song. I mean, everything was almost like, I want to be different and I want to stand out here. And that's what I respect the most about Bray and, and his continual uh, reinvention. Even if I didn't like all the reinventions necessarily, I mean, he is a human, he is an artist and yet to judge it by that versus the results because the results are based on one man's biases and whatnot. And, and really what we've kind of missed on is, I mean, he was 36. That is, I mean, to me, that's young still. Um, well, yeah. And he, had, and he has young and he to has, me too. And, and he has four small kids. Uh, he, he had gotten married to a uh, former ring announcer, Jojo. Um, after his divorce and had a couple more kids there. Uh, and, and as I, I, I'm laughing because I'm remembering things about Bray that, that, that are, are forgotten sometimes in, in the, uh, in the aftermath of like, like, you remember the whole thing about him raising tiny horses? That's right. That's right. <laughs> he had a whole thing about tiny horses. I'm like, and you think about that now in retrospect and you go, okay, so he had like these bougie tastes or he liked, because the liposanzers are not cheap, <laughs> but, but it's also like, is that a side hustle to breed them? Or is that, and you're like, that's something where if you had met him, I'd like to ask about that. And of course, you know, I, I never really met him. I had friends who did. Uh, and of course, the wrestling community talked about him glowingly, and and you don't expect anybody to say anything, you know, bad in depth, anyways. But but the one that 
touched me the most was Miro uh, gave, gave a story about how he was an extra before he even got signed. And it's for a, it, it was, uh, it was when Bray and, and Undertaker were going to have a match and they're standing around there in the ring and, and Undertaker once, you know, volunteers to, you know, take some moves from, from Bray so he could see, you know, how to do it. So Miro was volunteered. And then his first day in FCW, you know, break. Hey, I remember you, you were the guy who, you know, took these uh, cannonballs from me or whatever. And it was like, and that really stuck out to him, but a lot of praise. I mean, that, that, that crew of FCW that then turned into NXT uh, you know, you had the Becky Lynch's and the Seth Rollins and the Romans and all that. They they were an extremely tight crew of people. And so while we might, you know, talk about the artist and what we remember of him of the ring, remember this is a, this is a man with friends. And he died way, way too young in a business where, you know, I mean, the Wyndham's and the Rotundas are tied at the hip in so many ways as well. And you got to think with Barry... You know, Barry's had health scares for a while. Blackjack died in the last few years. You know, and, and you never want to bury a son. So you also got to feel for Mike Rotunda here. Um, yeah, uh, that's all I got, Chris. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I'm talking. <laughs> no, I, I definitely feel for them on all that front. I was, you know, just it, Bray Wyatt's like in ring career is complicated to dissect because it's like a question of it's like a band where you put out 20 albums and three of them were good along the way of a 20 like album career that spans like, yes yeah <laughs> something like that and you're like no that's actually not a horrible comparison there's there's many like 70s rock bands where i kind of feel like okay you put out like 10 albums one of them is good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the other like you, a hit or something. And like, like yeah, and like and by good I mean like is actually legitimately good, but it's just one of them. And I don't know what to do with that. That's a that's that's a tough place to kind of like you know, where do I slot in? There's like ten banger songs all back to back on like in this example. And with Bray it almost would be the the, the opposite. They put out like fifteen albums and there are one good there's like one good song over each album and like the rest really do feel like filler smackdown and tonight did a 10 yeah. oh, did 10 Go bell ahead. salute uh classy move on on their part to bring in eric rowan for that although <laughs> yeah i got a feel for the guy he's now been through the brody 10 bell salutes and the braid 10 bell salutes and then it's like, ah, see you later. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, SmackDown tonight honoring Bray all night, and then Cody Rhodes doing a uh, a tribute to to Terry Funk, who we'll go into now. Uh, Terry Funk passing away at the age of eighty. Um, had in recent years suffered from dementia, but and and was put in hospice, but was uh, released to be able to go home. I think. To me, that's a positive when you get to die at home. I know that. But, of course, the most famous resident of the Double Cross Ranch, son of 
a promoter and a wrestler from Amarillo, Texas. His father, Dory Funk Sr. His brother, of course, Dory Funk Jr. Uh, one of the few men to hold the NWA World Heavyweight Championships when that mattered. Um, you know, when it was a rare thing. I'll get into my personal story of, of you know, how I found out about Terry Funk and stuff because it's an interesting thing. But uh, wrestled for over 50 years. He was active from, I believe, 1966 or 65 through 2017. Was still uh, doing things, of course. And there are there are three phases to Terry Funk's career. You know, you have the early phase, you know, the young white meat baby face kind of phase, you know, where he's, where he and Dory are over in Japan and they're wrestling, you know, I mean, he's in the Amarillo territory as baby faces for his father, of course, but you know, goes over to Japan, very important in the development of Gaijin's over there, you know, wrestling Brody and Hanson and, uh, you know, Hanson and Gordy later on in their thing and, and just, uh, you know, really taking a, a, a beating <laughs> over there in Japan. And then, then of course he, he worked everywhere. He worked every territory um, for, for a while, you know, continentally did Memphis. He had programs with Lawler. He was in the Florida territory for a long, long time uh, wrestling dusty a lot. I mean, it, all over Texas, of course, he did the Southwest Territory for Joe Blanchard, I believe, at, at one time. Uh, you know, was given the NWA World Heavyweight Championship um, back when it was uh, a committee of territory bosses who were voting on such things. Both he and his brother got to to hold that title, and Fritz von Erich used them as kind of an archetype to try and push his sons to be the NWA title, but. Uh, beat Harley race in 1977. Those uh, things are few. And then he kind of, uh, you know, he, he, he in the uh, mid eighties, he, he ended up in WWF for a short time in the early Saturday night main event days. And then he went to Hollywood for a while. Cause uh, he had met in 81. I believe he had met Sylvester Stallone on the set of paradise alley, uh, which he co-starred in. And uh, after his WWF tenure, and and there was a bit of a lull there, you know, that's when he did Over the Top. Well, no, Over the Top was a little Roadhouse. Um, he did some commercials. There's there's a Wendy's commercial with him in it, uh, floating around. Uh, he did stunts for Sylvester Stallone. He 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 did stunts in Rambo Three and Rocky Three, and he was the fight coordinator on Rocky Five. Interesting tidbit I did not know in those scenes where Tommy Morrison is supposed to be fighting that last street fight there. The man who is his stunt double. Well, Terry Funk was always happy to give his friends some jobs. So that's Dick Slater doing the fight in Rocky five. Um, Terry Funk also very famously suggesting Hulk Hogan for the role of Thunderlips in Rocky three to Sylvester Stallone. He had uh, suggested three people, uh, and I think the best choice was Hogan because it was Hogan, Big John Studd, and Gorilla Monsoon, who was a little long in the tooth for the role at, at that time, in my opinion. Um, and then, you know, he did the only year he didn't wrestle in in uh, in those 50 years where there's no listing of matches is 1988. And so, you know, his rumor he was retired and doing acting. And then in 1989, in an infamous angle, Pops up in WCW as a judge for Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair at Wrestle War 89. 
which Flair wins the title from. And then uh and then Pile drives Ric Flair on a table. And that starts another hot feud in 89. I'll go into my personal experience about that in, in a moment in terms of his work. But, you know, he does that and then he goes back to doing territories a bit. He did Smoky Mountain, um, you know, another run in Memphis, I believe, at this time. And he ends up in a Philadelphia promotion called Eastern Championship Wrestling for Todd Gordon and Paul Heyman and his buddy Eddie Gilbert. Which then later in a few years in a few years becomes uh, ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling, for which Paul Heyman credits Terry Funk for giving them legitimacy. And this is around the time where he becomes the hardcore icon. He'd been wrestling in Japan, again doing tours for All Japan earlier, but here he's doing like deathmatch tournaments for IWA, where he you know famously wrestles Cactus Jack for the uh, title of King of the Deathmatch. First death match I ever saw was Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. So that's a high bar to cross in tastefulness. But of course, comes back to ECW, does that first triple threat. Um, if you watch Beyond the Mat, you see Paul Heyman's promo, basically giving Terry Funk all credit for them being able to get on pay-per-view and that none of them would be there without him. Um, he had a few runs there. Goes back to WCW a little bit. Um, he's there for like 94 for the uh, Slamboree. Has that uh, draw with Ter- with uh, Tully Blanchard, which, which I enjoy. But then, you know, it's kind of going in and out. He's He goes to, uh, he ends up in WWE again as uh, Chainsaw Charlie. Uh, <laughs> and then eventually as Terry Funk a few more times. Goes back to WCW during the Monday Night Wars for like uh you know the the 2000 era when i was a lapsed fan so i don't know a lot about his time there and he just starts doing indie runs as kind of the hardcore legend he came back to ecw late he came back to he had a big feud with steve carino he did tna i believe uh, a little bit he did i believe he did mlw as well uh, uh, uh as one of his last gigs so i mean but he was all over the place uh, he did a PWG show I went to in 2011 for uh, Kurt Russell Reunion 2, where they have a Legends Battle Royal, and the last two in the ring, Roddy Piper and Terry Funk. And they just decided to beat the crap out of each other. It was amazing. Um, You know, but the thing I can say about Terry Funk is you listen to interviews and you watch him, and number one, nobody ever has a bad word to say about him. Uh. Eddie Kingston thinks he's the greatest of all time. I'm not sure about that, but he's on the list and he might be the most significant wrestler of all time. Uh, never a terse word for anybody. He, I, I, I put it this way, Chris, and this is where I'll throw it to you before I go into matches to watch and things of that nature. And my personal experience of first watching Terry, uh, he is so carny. You don't consider him carny because he's just so friendly in real life and he's so in character all the time when he's a heel that it's like you never feel like he's putting on an act so to speak with you 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 never feel i mean like if you listen to interviews especially like with dave or or whatever it's he's so friendly and so helpful and those you know oh man he's so nice never never a bad word to say about anybody um Seemingly a great human being, especially as as if you watched uh, Beyond the Mat, which both of us did. And, and you know, he's just trying to get his friends booked. And, of course, there's the uh, 
what Dennis Stamp stuff where she's come be the referee, <laughs> that kind of thing. That, that that sounds like Terry. Terry's always looking to get his friends' uh, work. Never minds doing the job for somebody. I mean, elevated public enemy and Sabu to status that they probably never deserved. Um, I, even the New Age Outlaws. I yes. think that that feud with Cactus Jack and uh, Chainsaw Charlie really established the Outlaws as like not just a mid-tier act that wasn't quite entirely over. They like became reviled to the point where they made sense to join DX. That was yes, not insignificant. No, that's, that's very true. And that's, uh, that's a good point because I believe on that Raw, they spent the better part of that show just on that angle about how dastardly it was that I believe that match also started. This is why I love Road Dog in some ways, because he comes out, he ditches the chainsaw Charlie. He goes Terry Funk, and and Jim Ross has to run cover because nobody up until that point had called him Terry Funk up until then. Uh, but they they did they did an entire hour on the aftermath of them putting them in that dumpster and throwing them off the stage and what a what a grave, horrible thing. And I think later that night was when they joined DX in the cage match. And my timelines might be mixed I think, on that. I think that. No, I think that is. I think that's like like the baptism of them joining DX. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was Tame with Sears. And, you know, Terry and Foley made them look like gods in that match in terms of hardcore wrestling. But uh, I've, I've uh, rambled on a bit and I'm going to ramble on more in a little bit, but Chris, I want your thoughts on. Yeah. In revisiting Terry Funk this week, I was really trying to place like where he sits in the greats. Um, and it's actually pretty high when you start assessing the type of work he was doing, the variety of work he was doing, his ability to have really good command with like dialogue. Uh, and we were watching the Memphis match between him and Lawler, and he's absolutely carrying that with all of his talking in the early part of that. But he's always a good promo too. Oh, his uh, promos watched... are fantastic. I'll get his promos are great. Like yeah, yeah, no, I watched I watched a really fun one with him and Paulie Dangerously earlier this week, where like Paulie Dangerously brings up his brings kids. up his daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and, and there's like he does all of that. But then when you get to the in-ring work, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, is doing moonsaults and uh, you know, figure four leg locks, spinning toe holds, um, and had just this, like, great clubbering-looking blows. Like, all of his punches and stuff look great. And his selling's really good, too. His selling's goofy, but it's great. You know yes. what I mean? Especially yeah. as later. I mean, when, when he when he starts to you know, get into his late thirties, early forties. And he's, you know, he's doing the wobbly leg thing. And, you know, there's, there's a great sell of him from Puerto Rico. He's doing a match with uh, Rick Martell and he's knocked off the top rope and crotches himself on the rope where he's just, you know, he's doing the, the, I got to go to the bathroom walk for the better part of, you know, five minutes or something to that effect. But like he'd do that spot where he's like in between the uh, top and middle rope and he's doing the seesaw thing as guys are punching him. And it looks goofy as hell. But at the same time, you never you never give up the fact that he's a tough son of a bitch. Yeah, and he's so committed to it, too. I, I mean, it, I was really sitting there and going, do I think he's better than Flair? And my conclusion after watching more of it is 
Yes, I do. I think I like him more than Flair. I think like his work is kind of a little bit more complete than Flair's. I think it's more complete, but I don't think he's better than Flair. I, I think he's really? more in. I think he's more influential than Flair, especially with his latter stage hardcore stuff. But I, Flair, Flair ever was doing moonsaults, you know. I'm not no, saying that, that, no, that's he like wasn't. the end all be all, but like you know what I'm saying. Like Flair I, I also had worse opponents a lot of times to carry in matches. I mean, you know, Funk was always on top and never really mid card guy to have to bring up. And as top of the territory, Flair had to, you know, I think the worst opponents Funk may have had in his prime, and by prime I mean up until about 55 might have been sting a very green sting who was still very game um and flair flair had to carry just garbage at times uh but no i I mean he's in i mean dylan hales believes he's the greatest wrestler to ever live and a former guest to shake them ropes and you know probably more of a historian than i am uh he's on my top three or four definitely um in terms of greatest of all time and just, and, and part of that is mostly the pro as, and I, this is what I was going to bring up is his promos are great. Cause he had, he has the Texas draw, but he also enunciates and takes his time with what he's saying. You, you banana nose jerk. <laughs> he don't uh, call people idiots and morons and fools. And it just, it, it, it's so arcane, but it always came off so sincere for, for Terry Funk. Yeah, like when Terry Funk called you an idiot, he believed it, or he uh, made you believe it. Uh, there, there's uh, other great promos of him that are singular that I can think of. Uh, the '89 promos when when he knocks out Flair and he's trying to get him to come back to do a match uh, were so good that Flair had to put a stop to them because they were undermining his uh, his power play in the office where they were trying to undermine him there. Uh, you know. He, Funk would bring out guys with and paint yellow streaks on their back. Uh, there's a Florida one where he's in the shower and he covers himself in motor oil and sand so he could be a Florida cracker, which is just totally fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he never stumbled in his promos. He always did. And and I really like, I like the Funk Dory promos. Um more than I thought I would as I was watching through them, because I am not a fan of Tory Funk Jr. That man was 60 for 50 years and he wrestled like it too. But there's something about when the Funk brothers are there kind of promo and Dory really doesn't say anything. He just looks, he looks like a professional wrestling champion, you know, with the jacket and the hat or the suit and the hat and he's dapper and stuff. And there's Terry Funk in kind of the cowboy getup with the with the uh I don't know what they call it. It's not a duster, but the throwover one thing that you know Eastwood would always wear. And he's just ranting and raving. And you know that you know Dory's the technician of the team, and Funk's the brawler of the team, and Terry's the brawler of the team, and he just wants to fight, and Dory's just in there going, Yeah, and if there's anything left of you. It's all me. And it's like, it's a badass dynamic. And I always love that about those promos. Did you ever get to see any of those in your rewatch this week? No, because okay. I, like you, Dory Funk Jr. is just a guy who's never done much for me. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
it's funny because people were coming to me and this is where I get into my personal story of, of getting to watch or how I came to watch Terry Funk because the 89 run is my sweet spot. People expected me to know a lot more about the 70s stuff or to watch early stuff. But to tell you the truth, in the early 80s, he was doing like Japan and Puerto Rico. And you know, if he was doing the States, it was Florida. So I didn't have access to Terry Funk. Terry Funk to me, when I got into wrestling, was just a name that was dropped on NWA television along with Harley Race and Dory Funk as you know legendary champions of the sport i never got to see any terry funk or or dory funk jr wrestling i got to see a little bit of harley because he'd come in and out but they never appeared on nwa crockett um until the 89 tour Uh, the first time i ever saw terry funk was when he appeared in the wwf with jimmy hart coming in with his brother who they had renamed Hoss Funk. I go, who's Hoss Funk? I know who Dory Funk is because I've heard of him, but is that, and so I didn't realize at first that yes, Hoss Funk was actually Dory because Vince didn't like the name Dory and probably hated his father. So we had to, and also, Oh, remember he was a junior where he's Dory Funk junior and Vince hates being called junior. So he probably renamed him Hoss for that reason. And then of course brought in uh, art bar. The juicer's brother is Jimmy Jack Funk. who's not even really a funk um, to do those things. And, you know, he was kind of a cartoonish, you know, playing the WWF style at the time. I'm just like, wait, number one, this guy was NWA champion, you know, and for a kid who was raised on NWA, it's like, you know, NWA was real. It was grapplers. It was burly, tough guys. And here's this, you know, for lack of a better term, clown, and he also seemed way too young to ever have held the title, even though he was around, uh, I think he was around 40 at this time. And I'm just like, man, you know, it's like, uh, oh, he must have held the belt like in his 20s or something. And he did. And it was like, okay. And, you know, he had a good program with Hogan on one of the early Saturday Night's main event. And that, you know, of course, because Terry Funk is a god at carrying guys who aren't very good. And I mean, that that would be the biggest carry job until Sting to me was Hogan because you know, they were grooming Hogan as, you know, this dominant champ. And, you know, Terry Funk is fantastic in the ring, of course. And, he, you know, the branding iron and knew how to get heat and all those other things. And then, you know, he disappears. And Wrestle War 89 shows up as, as one of the judges. And, you know, I'm just thinking he's this retired old guy. You know, <laughs> you know, when you're 16, you think everybody's like 70. So, you know, and then at the end, you know, of course, Flair and Steamboat have a fantastic match and, you know, they they are having a feud. But at the end, it was interesting because Steamboat shakes Flair's hand at the end after Flair had been insulting Ricky Steamboat and been the heel this whole time. And here comes in Terry Funk and he's like, oh, Rick you know, congratulations. I knew you could do it type of thing. You know, if it had gone the full time limit, I would have voted for you. And I'm like, what is, what is Terry Funk doing? Here? <laughs> you know, he's, is he trying to just get on camera? You know, I'm 16. I don't know about, you know, works and stuff like that all that much. And, uh, and then all of a sudden he's like, I want a match. It's like, okay, Terry, this old guy who's retired wants a match. All right, cool. But it's like, uh, well, Terry, and they had a perfect story. It's like, look, I can only wrestle 
people in the top 10 and you know you haven't wrestled you've been hanging around with stallone you know doing movies and so like, oh yeah you're right you know oh i was just kidding you know i'm sorry i didn't mean to take your mom I'm like okay that was an interesting thing was you know funk going into business for himself even before i knew what that meant or and then he decks him and it's like oh here we go and and it's like and he does that pile driver on the table and i'm sold because i'm like that's the most vicious thing i've ever seen like flair is knocked out after that for like weeks like they they, they have him in the neck brace at home and jim ross is you know going to interview the ch- i don't know if i'll ever be back i don't know if the doctors will ever clear me like holy crap this wrestling is cool you know that kind of thing and you get to the first match on on wc or it was nwa saturday night still chris i'm gonna ask you this piece of trivia do you know who terry funk's first match back in the nwa was oh man roddy piper uh no it was a very young eddie guerrero oh wow in 89 and he gave uh he gave the kids some moves but ultimately, you know, it was a squash. But yeah, very young, young, young Eddie Guerrero uh, was, was there. And, you know, and Terry Funk knew that family. So, of course, hey, yeah, I'll give you kid. I'll help your kid out a bit here. But then uh, Gary Hart ends up. Uh, Gary Hart had been. You got to understand the NWA right now had been. It was in tatters a bit. Tully and Arn had gone to the WWF. Dusty was on his way to the WWF. Uh J.J. Dillon and uh, and Barry Windham were on their way out, and so the Horsemen had become the Yamazaki Corporation with like Butch Reed and Kendall Windham and you know Michael Hayes. They had no main event heels. They had turned the Road Warriors heel, which was a stupid move. The Varsity Club is you know starting to starting to get into its last legs a bit as a stable. And so, you know, and you had Flair as the only real main event heel here. Uh, You know, you had Luger kind of going back and forth again because he wasn't just, he wasn't clicking in anything for the most part. And then Terry Funk comes in and just revitalizes this position. Uh, You know, Zabisco and Perez had already left, so Gary Hart didn't have a lot to do. He was managing Bob Orton, who wanted to go back to WWF at the time. But he had brought in this kid by the name of the great Muda, who was the son of Kabuki. And then they, they, they formed this corporation as the JTEX corporation with, uh, the, the Japanese, uh, Kendo Nagasaki as the dragon master. You know, they eventually bring in Dick Slater and Butch Sawyer to, to amplify, but now we got a great heel stable and we got funk. Who's just cutting promos week after week after week on flair. And Flair finally comes back to say he's going to do, you know, he, he comes back teams with sting in a match against uh, Dick Slater and Muda because Slater's replacing funk because he got an arm injury. And as Gary Hart famously says, your arm is starting to smell. You need to get that looked at. And Terry's like, but I'm making so much money right now. I'm headlining, you know, arenas all over the place. And at that clash, is another angle that that almost got WCW taken off the air. Uh, they couldn't even sell the DVD in England, according to Derry, Gary Hart, because it's so violent. Uh, after the match, Terry Funk's at the arena uh, with a cast on, and he puts a uh, he puts a bag over Ric Flair's head, 
and tries to quote unquote choke him to death. And it's one of the most violent things you will ever see on a wrestling program before everything got hardcore to the point where the, uh, the TBS switchboards just lit up. And of course, you know, th- this program continues. You have the Halloween Havoc Thunderdome tag match, which the Thunderdome lights on fire and Muda's trying to mist it out. And Tommy Young eventually puts out the fire in there. And Funk, you know, the end of Funk's first WCW foray uh, is the uh, New York knockout match on uh, Clash 9, the I Quit match, which is a lot of people's favorite match of Terry Funk's. Um, it was originally supposed to lead to a Muda feud with Terry Funk, but uh, the booking committee had decided to phase out Terry Funk and make him an announcer. And then, of course, he then just goes and makes ECW a big deal But after that. But uh, for my list, um, if you want to seek out Terry Funk matches, uh, of course, my favorite pay-per-view of all time, Bash 89. Headlo- that's the first match with Flair, officially. Uh, the I Quit match, New York Knockout, uh, Funks versus Hanson and Brody, and the Funks versus Hanson and Gordy in all Japan. Funk versus Lawler, the empty arena match in Memphis is great. Anything Funk Dusty in uh, in Florida is fantastic. Funk Harley in the NWA, if you can find it, from 1977 is fantastic too. Promos, any funk promo. You know, he has a horse, he's talking to the back end of a horse and calling it Eddie Gilbert. I mean, that that's Terry Gordy or Terry Funk to a T, but you're never going to be disappointed watching a Terry Funk promo, in my opinion, because it's always going to be interesting. It's always going to have some hate to it. And it's always going to be about the other person, be it the flair promos in 89, where he's doing the, the the dusty promos in 94 leading up to the stud stable uh war games with dustin where he's calling he's calling the nasty boys and dusty fbi fat bodies international that, that stud stable angle it's something i need to revisit because it's very underrated to me but yeah i mean all his 70s promos are, are fantastic and of course the dory ones as well so uh rest in peace terry funk anything else chris Man, I I think you did a really nice job recapping Terry Funk's career here. Or at least the 89 part of it. The part that was special to me, because it really... But I will say, I I have watched that show, and that angle is awesome. Yes. Like, it's really, really, really well done. It's well executed. And I think the thing you said about Funk, too, where he always found a way to make it about the other wrestler, that's the other thing I would really... uh, put uh, as a feather in his cap. Uh, there were other greats of that vintage who were great, but were great in a way that it needed to be about them. And Funk was like always externalizing. He always hated everyone else. It wasn't about like, I'm awesome. It's just like, Flair's an idiot. I should be champion. Yeah. Oh, the end of that angle in 89, because I just watched it before we went on the air. It's, uh, you know, he is he is almost in tears screaming at Jim Ross. He said I wasn't good enough. He said I wasn't good enough. And you're just like, oh man, that 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 is some awesome pathos right there. Where it's just, you know, he's the retired guy who's there. But oh, that, that that's the other thing I want to bring up that, that I forgot during this '89 run. Like he's using uh, man man with the harmonica from Once Upon a Time in the West as his entrance theme. And it is the most awesome use of that song, including the movie, in my opinion, because Funk is coming out 
you know, he's tan and he's like old man jacked with the cowboy outfit. And he's always in character and he's threatening to fight the fans. And he has the branding iron and the picture of him with Gary Hart behind him. It, it, and just that as he's walking. And it's just, it's, it's one of the reasons why you can't watch the stuff on the network. You have to watch bootlegs or VHS rips to really get the feeling of how awesome that entrance is in 89 with him walking to the ring as, as just the old gunfighter looking for one last run. Uh, it, I mean, I, I love that 89 run of funks in, 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 in the NWA. It, it's, it's really something special. Yeah, and then, I mean, even his work in ECW in yes. the 90s. Is... I don't mean to short shrift that, but I mean. No, I, I no, that I think that great. stuff's, it's, yeah, it's awe-inspiring. He, he's just working at such a high level. Yeah. You have you have so much to choose from in Funk's career. You can even go to Smoky Mountain and watch, you know, he's, he's cutting promos when Cornette hires. Because, of course, every story in Smoky Mountain is basically Jim Cornette wants somebody to come in and beat up Bob Armstrong. So folks cutting promo. Hey, I'm coming in. I'm I'm gonna take Bob Armstrong out. You you old geezer. You should have been a firefighter. You know that kind of thing. And you know it, it, it's it's even for the one shots he put everything into it, and it's great. And he'd go do he'd do like Night of the Legends a few times and and do brawls for that. But yeah, no, you can't go wrong with anything Jerry Funk. I, you've almost now convinced me to just because of his level of consistency all the time to put him above flair. Cause I still have the bad taste of flair's last match in my mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the thing is like funk knew when to call it. He could always get himself away from it. His level of consistency is really high. You have several different great vintages. And it like, is a running joke though, the, 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 the retirements, but even, sure. in reti- even if he's a carny about the retirements, he had a great quote that I read. It was something like, you know what? Every time I had a retirement, I meant it. <laughs> I walked away. And then eventually the bug would come back or I'd get that feeling again. And I'd want to wrestle again. And that was genuine too. And you go, I don't know if you're working me right now or not, old man, but I believe you and I like you. So I'm going to let you do that. Cause that happens with me in comedy. I, I, I you know, I get sick of it. I retire and it's like, hey, you want to do a show? Hey, you want to go do an open mic? Okay, yeah, let's see if I fall in love with it again. And then you do it for a while, and then you realize why you're tired, and you, <laughs> you can go back to retirement. But uh, yeah, I always thought his retirements, while a running joke, were always somewhat genuine. It's like, I don't want to get beat up anymore <laughs> in bingo halls across this nation. Yeah, and then he would come back, and like like you mentioned with 89, he'd look great. Or I think his occasional breaks allowed him to have more bursts in his career. Yes. And and especially when he started becoming crazy old man, where he's like putting ladders on his head and spinning around and doing moonsaults on the ladders. Those uh, breaks and, and, helped him be special. I, I got to tell you, too, you compare mid to late 90s Flair to mid to late 90s Funk, and it's kind of a no contest. Like, Flair is very entertaining as angry dad uh, Flair. I, I enjoy that character a lot. Was it good wrestling? Mm. Uh, I think like Vader he, was probably his last great feud. Yeah, th- there's actually, and there's like a fun match that he has on a Nitro against uh, Randy Savage uh, right yes. before the NWO takes over. Like, that's really good. 
but no, I actually think like Flair's uh, mid to late nineties work is sort of uh, underappreciated how mid it is. Meanwhile, you've got Terry Funk and he's just like dazzling through he's, all of those. He's, he's trailblazing. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's hanging with, he's, he's doing kind of, I mean, the modern day equivalent to me would be Chris Jericho, but he's not trying to do everything that the kids do. He's just trying to do everything his way that the kids do. And I think that's to me kind of the difference if I was going to do a one-on-one comparison with Chris Jericho doing this, because like, we're going to get into this all in preview. I think Chris Jericho is going to try and be Chris Jericho from 20 years ago. And I don't think Terry Funk was trying to be Terry Funk from 20 years ago. I think Terry Funk was trying to be a man having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Middle-aged and crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Middle-aged and crazy. It was the sort of defining tagline with him. And I, I think, yeah, he just, he felt like he had nothing to lose. Like if I am on the downswing anyways, why not go for broke? Yeah. Uh, I have no other news for this week because there's nothing else that matters. And the only other tidbit I'll get into in our all in preview. So we are going to do our lazy river of wrestling criticism. If you think of something else for Terry or Bray here, Chris, just feel free to add it in. But otherwise, whatever we watched this week, whatever we saw, we can bring it up. We will start on the beach, though, for an all in preview. Oh, okay. Can can I do, can I do like one quick anecdote from the week? Because like, we obviously didn't want to open the show with this. Yes. Yes. Go ahead, please. Sorry. So earlier today I'm working and a guy comes up to the ticket counter and he has a Ric Flair shirt on Nice. and I I go nice Ric Flair shirt. And he goes, yeah. And we both do the woo. And he goes, I actually have a really funny story. Ric Flair stole my girlfriend when I was in college. (laughs) The carrot and, top of his day. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like, that's what oh. carrot top used to do. He used to like tour colleges and steal people's girlfriend. It was great. Uh, did he expound on this at all? Or was that just he stole my girlfriend? No, but I will see him again. And I'm absolutely going to try to get additional details on so, this. So story. what, hold on. What year was this? Are we getting into like mid fifties flair where it's kind of like, uh, women with daddy issues. Yeah, no, no, with- no. It, it would be because like this guy's, mid to late forties. So yes, this is, this is very much Rick now no longer obeying the half plus seven rule yes. and just saying anything is available. Yeah. 18 come to the, come to the Marriott. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I've never been able to date that young, but I don't know if I could because you couldn't have a conversation. Yeah, the, the Hey 19 song do you rings think, deep in my head. Do you think Ric Flair is inviting these women over to have deep conversations? No, but I'm also like, how do you how do you get in the door there other than I'm Ric Flair and some like 18 Right, do you want to go here? Do you want to go there? Here's the thing. Would you like to have like a drink? Is how that about- like I have money? Yeah, essentially, okay, yeah, essentially instead okay. of saying words, you keep saying I have money in okay. different ways, but it's yeah, okay. the same sentence over and over again. I, I have no game, so you know, I just <laughs> well, if you had money, you wouldn't need game. Either. That's very true. If you have Jeff, money, Jeff. you don't need game. To, let, let me tell let me tell you about a little thing known as love bombing. What is that? 
Oh, if, is seriously like this? Is that is that is a term I am not familiar with. Oh, okay. So this is when like someone uh, comes on to someone else and they are like way too over the top and usually buying their affection type of a thing. Yes, okay. usually it's with money, and, and then like they they'll couple it with like words like "you mean everything to me," "ipso facto," "here oh. is an airplane ticket," that sort of thing. Oh, like the like the kid who hasn't had like a date in like you know, forever. And then he gets one and then he decides, Oh, first date, I'm taking her to Laurie's the prime rib and really going to show, I'm going to really show her, you know, a good time or whatever, but it's actually somebody with confidence. Who- <laughs> right. right. Well, so like, I guess my point of distinction, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get commentary on this. My point of distinction, when I would say the term love bombing is being applied, like that's like awkward and like, going too far but like love bombing is typically a calculating sort of move by by the love bomber like they are trying to do that to sort of like manipulate. they're manipulating yes exactly okay. to manipulate the person yeah okay but as opposed to liking them it's love oh no if, uh, right like like yeah. yeah like i mean you you can certainly love okay. bomb yeah. if you are like earnestly liking somebody like that's just all i would i, would I, I know what this is i'm just i've never heard it's like being yeah it's like being too yeah. forward at that point yeah. but like yeah like love bombing the way it's traditionally like deployed really does imply a level of malice and manipulation gotcha okay i just was not aware of the term um so here's where we're gonna get our dynamite licks in and there's a few of them to get in because this show was weird in some ways i mean they're, they're they 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 did things they did angles they did promos they did them all at once okay all in the biggest show in wrestling history wembley stadium for me sunday morning 9 a.m pre-show starts for you sunday morning 10 a.m pre-show starts 11 matches announced thus far two for the pre-show First off, which will be announced on Rampage tonight, Jack Perry versus Hook for the FTW Championship. I didn't see the angle, so I have no idea what's going to happen here. I just assume Hook's going to win. I think Hook has to win here, right? Like, like I feel like they, they maybe even... They have nowhere else to go with the... Uh, jack perry angle it feels like i think tonight he tries to retire the title and gets interrupted so so maybe it's it's a thing a jack perry retains the title and runs away or something because it's a pre-show and who cares type of thing i could see that happening um man this just feels too early to do the the actual match this feels like this is gonna be like a double count out or something too oh okay no finish i could see no finish yeah or or there's a finish or Jack Perry gets like quickly DQ'd, takes the belt and runs type of a thing. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah potentially. I, I, I don't care either. That's the problem. <laughs> like, I kind of like this Jack Perry character. At the same time, I, I, I find it uh, lacking in very many ways in terms of what is his actual motivation? What is he doing? What is he trying to tell me he is? Is he Hollywood Jack Perry? Or is he just Jack Perry with like, a, a leather jacket and jeans. I, I I don't know what he is, so it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, I I mean the Jack Perry character has not really been particularly established throughout this feud. Like it's uh, all been at Hook. Like it's really a feud for Hook, in which Jack Perry is the nemesis, but 
is not being really established as his own thing. And Hook doesn't talk all that much, so that's a problem. Um, yeah. Uh, and of course, the other big match for the tag team titles of Ring of Honor. Aussie Open, your champions, Mark Davis and Kyle Fletcher, taking on MJF and Adam Cole. Team better than you, baby. Team kangaroo kick. Team double clothesline. Who you got, Chris? Do they give them the titles going into the main event? Yeah, I think they have to. I think that like that adds intrigue to the main event as stupid as it is. And I don't think this is going to be a particularly long match. I think like I think they'll figure out a way to win it. My problem is I'm thinking with WWE brain and watching the go home segment where they avoid the kangaroo kick and they avoid the double clothesline. I feel like they get both. But I also think there's old school Tony thinking, these are my tag team champions. Do I want to make them look this stupid? Especially Aussie Open, who haven't really, haven't been established all that heavy in the Dynamite universe, but maybe that's why they could do that. Um, On the other hand, I think it sets up a match with MJF and Adam Cole versus The Kingdom for the ROH tag team titles at some point where they have a split. Uh, I think they tease dissension, but never get there. I do think he hits a kangaroo kick on Mark Davis at some point, And I do think they hit the double clothesline. And I do think they win the tag team titles going into the actual show itself. So I will agree with you there. Leading off FTR, Dax Harwood and Cash Wheeler fighting for their legacies. Versus the Young Bucks of Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, and also the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Uh, Chris, the Young Bucks uh, and, and FTR had a promo. Here's your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So last week, you might remember I had some comments about being able to sometimes see the pathologies and the inner personalities of the performers on AEW television by virtue of the fact that they get to script a large chunks of their own dialogue. Sometimes the, uh, the person comes through the art in a much more tangible way than you might see on WWE television, where the only person who might come through the art is Vince McMahon. This was not a popular take among some people, but I am here to tell you after watching this young bucks promo, Get over it, because that is exactly what's going on. Oh, you don't agree. I know. I know. So I ask you this. Matt and Nick Jackson, you get one sentence. What are their characters? One sentence. Don't give me two. You ain't got it. Right. And it's kind of the same problem with FTR. But in watching this promo, let's break down all the myriad things that are wrong with this. So Matt and Nick Jackson needing to have this third match say that they don't need to have this third match because Mm -hmm. they already have their legacy cemented. Um, And then they go one step further. They say that FTR are the ones who need to have their legacy cemented. They're the ones who want this. Um, And really FTR should be grateful because it was Matt and Nick Jackson who brought them into this company. Really, we're tiptoeing right around the lines of, all of this is actually a predetermined outcome, and we did our buddies a solid here by even bringing you guys into the match in the first place. On the other side, 
are FTR and are they they baby faces? Do I want to cheer for Cash Wheeler right now? Not particularly. And the way that the Young Bucks have been presented to me and it's been explained to me is that like they're actually really good friends to Kenny Omega and that Kenny Omega was right to screw over the Dark Order because the Young Bucks guys, they're great dudes. They're really cool. Um, Where am I getting this vibe from? Well, um, the first match of Dynamite was Kenny Omega and the Bucks versus uh, the... I believe it was the guns and juice Robinson where we were cheering on the young bucks. Hooray. Hooray. Look at them. They're the good guys. They're the heart and soul of AEW. Hurrah. Hurrah. And then less than an hour later, they're being passive aggressive jerks. And whose direction was that scripting done under? Uh, I believe the bucks do their own creative. Yeah, that's kind of how I think, too. And so their instincts are that what they're doing here in the lead up to like the mega match, like one more time for old time sakes sort of match makes them come off as likable people where you'd like really want to have the fight for everything vibe going. Chris, this is possibly a match to see who the greatest tag team of all time is. That is how uh, this has been put at one point. And the young bucks come out and go. They don't even. We care. don't really need it. We, we don't, don't need, need it. This, this they, they called it the rubber match. What? How can you have a rubber match if one team does not believe that it matters? <laughs> how can you have a rubber match when nobody believes in protection? Uh, <laughs> oh, yes, you true. protect the you protect the, the 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 world. The world is, and you people who come to me and go, well, Jeff, they don't really need heat or an angle because. Everybody wants to be the best. Not even. Not even. Not even. No, (laughs) you want to know what the overarching narrative is in this company? It's who's actually in management in this company. Yes. Wins and losses matter, but what's actually more important than that is, are you a vice president? Because if you are, you can import that into your character like Kenny Omega has in the past, like the Young Bucks did this week, whenever you want. And that's the ultimate goal. You don't want to actually be, quote-unquote, the real world's champion. You don't want to win the MJF belt, which is also a gimmick belt that's done up in Burberry. The title you really want is management. Yes, and that the young talent here are all signed to six-figure contracts. And, you know, I'm making good money. <laughs> and that's what it feels like at times. Uh, and, and and they should be thankful. That, yes. like the, the, issue, the issue is that these people are not expressing enough gratitude to our top baby faces. Yes, or punk. Um, who do you have winning this? Um, who do I have winning this? I think... That, especially given FTR's trouble, I think the Young Bucks are going over. They just re-signed. I think the Bucks are getting this, but I think FTR needs this more. That's the problem. I think. Well, I, think... I know that. Matt and Nick Jackson told me that. Yes, that's true, too. <laughs> yeah, eh. You know, we don't really need this. We're going to be remembered as the greatest tag team of all time. 
All right, I, why are we doing and, this match then? What the and, hell? And let me tell you, if FTR overcomes this team that does not believe they really need this match, nothing is going to really put them on the map more, you know? For the AEW Women's World Title, a four-way, Hikaru Shida, your champion, defending against Tony Storm, who is doing a phenomenal Norma Desmond impression of late, uh, Soraya and Britt Baker, DMD. Chris, do they give Soraya a hometown thank you for being a legend short title run here? Do they I put think it so. do they put it on Brit as you know still kind of the star of the division, or do they rebuild around Sheeta? These are the questions I ask, but it sounds like you already have an answer. I'm so... gonna say Soraya Soraya wins it, loses it to Sheeta within the next couple of weeks. I I'm leaning towards that as well. And I think it's going to absolutely kill Sheeta. I think it's a mistake to give it to Soraya. No offense to her. Doesn't need a thank you. She's a quote unquote legend. Um, all week I thought it was going to be Sheeta retaining. I did, but now I'm starting to think, yeah, they're going to give it to Soraya for the moment. Cause it's going to mean a lot. And then Soraya might retire. You know, I think the outcasts eventually split up beat up Soraya, Ruby, and, and Tony, because Tony's acting, you know, <laughs> like a rat in an outhouse. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Soraya gets the moment and eventually either retires or gets written out, because I don't think she's long for this company. Yeah, well, I think that would be the nice way to send her off to where, like, it, it'll it'll put positive feels on what was not a positive thing. Correct. Uh, in a coffin match, revised because A.R. Fox uh, failed to tell the company that they could not uh, that he could not travel overseas in a timely fashion, and we'll talk about that angle as we talk about this. Darby Allen and Sting taking on Swerve Strickland, and if your dad dies, he's going to cut a promo on you, Christian Cage, with Prince Nana and Luchasaurus in tow. Yes. In the quickest conversion to Christianity ever and forgiveness, after after a home invasion in which 20 gallons of blood are spilled by Nick Wayne, A.R. <laughs> Fox gets turned on by, uh, by Swerve Strickland, and Darby just forgives him. Uh, he means <laughs> bygones are bygones. Come on up. <laughs> it was I'm, I'm like the whole thing was predicated on like darby felt betrayed by yes. ar fox it was like i i put my word on for you like that's i mean for people who actually have a word that means something that's a big deal so you you give someone your like stamp and then they go in and they do you real bad oh man that's rough i'm a man of the christian faith i don't even forgive people that quickly <laughs> No. <laughs> no, that is, that is, that is the memory of a goldfish right there. <laughs> that is, yeah. that is uh, who was it? Who was it? Uh, oh, it was on commentary. They said this it, or no, it was a comment. I think in, in uh, on my uh, fight game show, it's like, yeah, Darby learning from sting to forgive quickly or be able to turn on you. Oh man. Uh, oh. Like that's, that's, that's basically the best way to put it. Uh, I, once again, find myself baffled by the lack of 
coherency week over week. Didn't they hire somebody to like make continuity things happen more? Well, Washington. Your continuity cup. Man, staying on it. Um, Christian Cage, of course, will be kept around until negative one turns 18, so he can cut a promo on him, too. Uh, I, <laughs> Chris, this has become so wrong that I love it now. This Christian Cage comes out and goes, you don't have a father. I could be your father. <laughs> and your father sucks and he's dead. That's the promo. And Christian Cage is such a bastard and so great chewing the scenery doing it that I don't mind it being a little bit cheap anymore. Oh, no, I I am firmly in the Christian is good camp. Uh, I get that it is over the top. But the thing is, he does a good job delivering those kinds yes. of lines. He does. Um, in my opinion, this could be match of the night. That is what I am thinking. I think Christian Cage is going to do some crazy stuff. I think Sting at Wembley in what might be his last great hurrah, although I say that every pay-per-view. But this is a big thing. I think Sting's going to do some nutty stuff. Darby, you know, is crazy and Swerve's fantastic. Uh, I have Darby and Sting winning this. Oh, yeah, uh, it's got to be Darby and Sting winning in this. And I think one. Nick Wayne may be in the coffin. I think he's going to have to find a way to get into this match because Nana and Luchas- Luchasaurus is going to Luchasaurus is going to take some bumps here. Nana, maybe not so much. Uh, but yeah, I think, but this, this is a dark horse candidate for me to steal the show, this coffin match. Yeah. Uh, Christian always does a really nice job to like telling the story throughout the match. And I think that like, if he's kind of like you know, driving the car here and sort of like conducting the orchestra, so to speak, you got a lot of nice players. The Golden Elite, Okoto Ibushi, Kenny Omega, and Hangman Adam Page versus Kanosuke Takeshita and Bullet Club Gold of Juice Robinson and Jay White. Uh, this is your multi-person dream work rate geek match. Uh, it's going to be pretty good. Uh, Juice is going to take the fall, and the Golden Elite are going to win. What do you? Yeah, think? the Golden Elite win, and I think it'll be good. But I think Kota Ibushi will underwhelm. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna backtrack. Because I think here there's a danger on this card that I did not go over before we start picking these matches. And it's the uh, Survivor Series 91 this Tuesday in Texas Syndrome, where you're just setting things up for the pay-per-view that you're doing the next week. Takeshita and the Bullet Club Gold could win this to set up Takeshita and Omega at All Out. Oh, Totally. Or Omega wins and Takeshita attacks him afterwards to set up. I don't know which one yet. I feel like they want to give this Wembley crowd a lot of babyface wins to cheer and stuff because they're going to be a they're going to be a singing happy party crowd and you want to feel like the party is there. But now I'm starting to rethink. I think the heels win this one. Okay, but Takeshita gets like the pin on Ibushi or on Omega. With like, okay. with like yeah, help, yeah. with like he hits him with a foreign object or something and gets the cheap pin. Sure, out of sure. It. You know, because because Don Callis will be there. So right, right. Stadium Stampede in Wembley live as opposed to pre-tape for the first time ever. Eddie Kingston, Orange Cassidy, the best friends of Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta, and Penta El Cerro Mero. I think I said that correctly. Miedo. Miedo. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. 
versus uh, Blackpool Combat Club of Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta, and the returning proud and powerful of Santana and Ortiz in what was, to me, a very poorly done angle that should have been done throughout the night. Um, They had to write out Phoenix because he has visa issues and couldn't go. But the dramatic stuff in here should have been, at some point, if you're going to reintroduce Proud and Powerful, they got to be the ones to take out Phoenix, in my opinion. Uh, either off, you know, out of the ring or in the ring. Santana getting a baby face pop after being gone after a year plus with a torn ACL. This just comes back and gets booed. Um, They cut to the ambulance where where possibly either the the uh the ambulance workers either did not care or they were extras. I don't know which. But they're trying to jam poor Phoenix with the neck brace into this ambulance <laughs> in the most not very cautious way ever. Eddie Kingston, who has a beef with Claudio, his best friends Moxley, and now two more of his best friends have turned on him. Has nothing to say to Renee when you want that promo here. Nobody ever goes to Proud and Powerful and asks, why did you do that? Because <laughs> last time we saw him, he was they were friends with Kingston and company. They should have had the promo for Proud and Powerful right after the beatdown. Instead, do the ambulance you know, footage from earlier tonight, have Renee talk to Eddie and have Eddie cut a promo on everybody because that's the hype for this match. Eddie Kingston can cut a major promo here and say, I'm going to kill all of you at Stadium Stampede. But they didn't. This was really a poor angle all the way around, in my opinion, Chris. Yeah, it was a a perplexing angle. Um, I thought Santana and Ortiz had beef with each other too. So like, uh, they do. Right. I thought this that is, was like, this is, this is, uh, uh, but that's off screen and this is kind no, of, I thought that, I thought that was in the storyline. No, it is not. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, didn't love this. Uh, can't, can't not. It, uh, it's all so hot shotted. It's like, well, yes. can't wait to see the second beat of this story. That's going to be over on Sunday. And, I don't know. I think the heels have to win here. I know that sounds odd because I just picked heels in the other match. No, but like Blackpool does probably need to go over here, right? Especially Although if you really if you really want to Blackpool elevate... is also England based. So this is actually <laughs> saying really consistent. It's a hometown thing, yes. Yeah. Um, but I could see them wanting to really elevate Orange and Eddie here. And maybe Eddie getting the pin. I could see that. But overall I think Blackpool Combat Club and Proud Powerful win this. I, I I can't see any way out of it, which would make for a very disappointing night, but you know, depends on the placement of the card. So yeah. I'm going to go with Chuck it. and Trent are very pinnable is all. I can yes, say. that yeah. too. Will Ospreay with Don Callis versus Chris Jericho in a straight up singles match, which is fascinating for a number of reasons. Um, I loved the go home promo on this one where Will Ospreay says that this opportunity will change his life and that he's got a wife and kids that he's fighting for. I'm working an indie show before to get money. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good heel characterization here. 
Also, here's my friend Don Callis. Like, what? I thought Jericho was good. I actually thought the best part of this promo was the uh what was the was the Sammy Guevara and 2.0 and uh Yeah, that was great. And Garcia backstage because 2.0 goes, no, you don't understand. He joined Don Callis until he saw the painting, you moron. Oh, but he's my friend. It's like You've ever had a falling out with a best friend, man. It ain't. It, that's also. I mean, that's that's also some Darby Allen Christian forgiveness right there. Instantly, given that he's hitting Garcia in the head with a bat, or Takeshita did, or somebody did, Don Callis did, in that tag match. Yes. No. Let him fall and then be there to pick him up, as opposed to Sammy's out there back in Chris Jericho's play here, which is ridiculous. In so many ways. I don't mind it. I thought Jericho's part of the promo was pretty good. You know, given the real part of the backstory, uh, as I said before, I think Jericho's going to try and be turn-of-the-century Jericho here and try and do too much, and I think it might. There's a chance it may not click. I think, you know, Will's great. He's going to be great, and he's going to win this match, hopefully to set up something with MJF, because they kind of did that in the promo, too. Um. Am I too cynical about this match? Will Jericho be fine and know how to stay within his boundaries? I think we're going to get a bad moonsault or two here along the way. <laughs> Some, well, you're uh, also going to get a live Judas. <laughs> and uh, the missed dope drop kick, uh, which is a new special of his. Yes. Yeah. Uh, who do you have wing? Osprey. Okay. Uh, not advertised, but I'm sure there's going to be something with it. I'm fairly certain they're going to do something with Jeff Jarrett and Grado, but uh, no match announced, unfortunately. I mean, I, I think also you're going to see like 2.0 uh, join Callis as like Ooh. Will Henry. Or at least Garcia, maybe. Yeah. Um, Although that wouldn't make sense either since he got hit in the head with a bat. But maybe and Gar- like- Garcia looks conflicted and he was looking at, uh, yeah. he was looking at Guevara, but I think 2.0 are going to take the plunge. I would like, you know, it's about time to give 2.0. I mean, we thought after that blood and guts and those great promos they cut after that, okay, we're going to see the serious side of 2.0. I don't want them to be pure flunkies, though. I don't want them, you know, the the combing the hair and the, you know, what makes Daddy Magic's nipples hard. I think it's time to dump that. And really I, oh my, I, I, I know, like, boy, the Daddy Magic's nipples hard line just way overstated its welcome. That's like one of those jokes that's like funny for one guy and they keep making the joke to pop that one guy without remembering that like you need to pop the whole house. Yes. Uh, For the quote-unquote real world championship. Interesting. CM Punk versus the king of television, Samoa Joe. I will be interested how much time they give this match because this feels like a long card already. And I think Punk and Joe are going to get time to cook. And I'm kind of here for it. Because I think it's the most interesting match on the card for me. Uh, I, I agree. Are, are we going to do a double turn during the course of this match? I think this crowd is going to be booing the hell out of CM Punk. Punk I know. And that, that's I, I want them to just commit to like Joe kill him. And Punk goes like full on heel and like absolutely goes like scummy to beat joe no honor at all okay 
like this is not going to be another one of their classic matches, right? Like it like shapes up like that or whatever, but the crowd turns against him. He's like, all right. And then he just goes full on heel on Samoa Joe. Like he starts baby face. And then by mid match, he's like looking at the crowd, giving them knowing looks. And then he just decides to go full on screw you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And, and okay. meanwhile, Joe's getting cheered on by just being like, he's like not doing anything specifically heelish. You know what I mean? He's just being Joe and being badass. Um, I think this is a really easy formula and you're right. Like the audience wants to go there. So I, I think they should do a double turn punk retains and he's getting booed out of the building. Who do you got winning? I got punk. I got punk winning house of black versus Billy Gunn and the acclaim for the AEW world trios championship. So let me get this straight. Billy Gunn retires. And then watches on tv as max caster and anthony bones get beat up by the house of black the acclaimed come out the next week challenge the house of black to a fight they get beat up again and there's billy who is retired and he's come to the arena but he didn't bother to tell bowens or caster (laughs) that he was at the arena and he comes out and makes the save here. Um, I think they give the trio's title to Gun and, and the acclaimed. I think. Well, and also in a really novel piece of booking, he is teasing that he is going to bring back a retro version of himself for this card. The badass Billy Gunn. That yes, and that's like exactly what Jericho says he's going to do two matches prior. Uh, what are the other versions of Billy Gunn other than Smoking Gun Billy Gunn? There's Mr. Ass Billy Gunn, but yeah, Mr. Ass, yeah. but he seems a lot to me like badass Billy Gunn because Billy Gunn never seemed all that badass to me. <laughs> he was never really, yeah. Like, what did he do that was badass? Uh, they, they were actually like the most. He said, uh, "Suck it." He said, "Suck it" a lot. Suck That's it, yeah. Yes. Well, it actually, he did lead up with, if you're not down with that. Yes, he did. He did clarify that. It's not like if you like it, you don't have to suck it. But if you don't like it, you do. <laughs> he wasn't consent seeking. <laughs> God. Uh, I think the picture of 80,000 people scissoring is too much for them. And they're going to give them the time. Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to have to do that. Yes. And finally, for the World AEW World Championship, MJF versus Adam Cole. I will posit questions here. You can answer them in uh, quick fire form. Will either of these people turn? Will Adam Cole actually win this title? Will they hit a? Will they? Uh, will Will Ronnie Strong and the Kingdom or Britt Baker show up? Well, they possibly do that stupid roll of quarters idea that everybody thinks is very racist and anti-Semitic. Will Goldberg show up at any point after this match to be, uh, if Cole turns to be MJF's Hebrew hammer, which I really, really want. Um, Will this be just nothing but a comedy match of two guys trying to cheat each other the entire time and then hugging it out at the end? Uh, Chris, I ask these questions. You don't need to answer them all, but you can answer some of them in your analysis of this match. Man, I don't think this is going to be a comedy yuck yucks match where they hug it out at the end. I think that this, I want to hope that this is the launch of a big new angle 
And I think that has to be heel Adam Cole executes the master plan that all of this was an extended long con. And it's been a long con the entire time. And he played MJF and MJF, like, like he, he gets played by Cole. I think that that's got to be the final beat of this story. I think Cole has to win the championship. So I, I got Cole winning. Cole definitely turns on on MJF. Um, and I think we're making MJF a baby face because that'll also work really nicely for him to go and feud with CM Punk, who in my card, uh, on my notes, is now solidly, solidly a heel because of what he did to Samoa Joe. I'm going to disagree. I think going punk MJF will not happen at all out because it's too quick. I think I think this is two Eddie Guerreros fighting each other. I think we get two different ref bumps, one for each guy. I think we get various attempts at, at them to do the, I got hit with a chair or the belt and the belt's laying next to me. I think they have somewhat of a match. I think MJF eventually gets the pin. And I think they hug it out. As ROH. Oh, what if MJF does the I'm sorry, I love you spot? And a kangaroo kick? Yeah, and then hits a kangaroo kick on Adam Cole and pins him. <laughs> uh, I think the turn doesn't happen until they fight, face the kingdom for the Ring of Honor tag titles. I, I do. I think I think... I think people have responded to this too positively as much as I think it's a sugar rush type of thing. And I think they're going to continue with it for a while. I don't think they pull the trigger on this at all. Cause I think they want the moment of everybody cheering for the comedy team. They like of MJF and Cole at the end as the last thing. I don't think they end want to end with the heat at Wembley, man. I, what? That's why you end with the heat. Nothing is better than like people I agree. hating the hell out of Adam Cole and the kingdom and cheering and wanting MJF to finally get up and fight. I, I mean, I, I like that's where the money's at. You're probably right, though. I could totally see Tony Khan going, well, I just want to have a show that everyone really enjoyed. And I yes. want everyone to go home feeling good. I about don't it. want everybody to go home like that WrestleMania main event where they wanted Cody to win the title and it was denied them. I could the see problem, that being in the back of the head. The problem with Cody not winning the title at WrestleMania is that it was in service of nothing. Yes. It's not that he didn't win the title. It's that it didn't catalyze into anything. MJF well, here and turning Cole and turning MJF, double turning them. And I mean... I think that's a really clever move. Yeah, but it's also in, I mean, that's the other thing is we know the plan is, we know the plan is eventually someone's turning on somebody. The problem is this act is too hot to to blow it up right now. So I think they go, okay, it's going to be, this is also going to be in service of nothing until they decide, all right, it's been enough time and we've, squeezed every bit of positive feedback from you know because they're listening to the podcast and reading the reviews and then they do it at like a nondescript show 
or something of that effect. Or maybe even all out next week. Maybe they save it for Chicago. I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, this feels like this feels like too big to me. We have the same thought. We just think that they have a different thought. Right. Um, Right. Because we both think biggest show in wrestling. You do the biggest angle possible. Get the heat, get the eyeballs, get the buzz out of it. And especially when you have a follow-up show the next week, everyone, I mean, that actually is, this is the best way to do this. You end this show on this Mondo angle, and then it makes being at uh, All Out something that you want to be too, because like you want to see where these angles are going. You got a couple of Mondo ones. Yeah, but then do you tick off the British crowd by going, oh, you just set this up for All Out the next week. I mean, they got a heel. To, I mean, if, if Cole wins the title and turns on MJF, like, like that's that they, I don't know what they want at that point. Yeah. I, I, I kind of agree. Um, yeah, that'll do it for our preview. We have gone very, very long. I'm going to do my NXT and main roster thoughts in quick style fashion. Yeah. Let's just do this really fast. Uh, the Nakamura promo was awesome on raw. I thought, uh, doing it in Japanese and, and you know, that that's the way to present Nakamura to me. I, I think that's great. Um, from last week that I missed on NXT, this Ali North American championship thing is the angle he's always wanted to do. I think it's going to fall flat eventually. Cause they're not going to be able to follow through with it, but, um, heat wave happened on NXT. Ilya trick Williams, trick Williams had the match of his life and Ilya got him there. It was fantastic. Oh, it was really, really good. I, yes. I, I thought, I thought Trick absolutely did what he needed to do. But yes, it was very much Ilya carrying him, and Ilya's like clubbing blows thing that he's doing is it's just lovely. I love yes. that move. Uh, Noam Dar and Nathan Frazier are just magic together in the ring too. They they are fantastic. Um, Surprising chemistry between Lyra Valkyria and Rhea Ripley. I'm really starting to like these two when they fight each other and when they have promos together and stuff. I would love to see Lyra become part of the Judgment Day. That's how good I like it. Um, Also here for a JC Jane, Thea Hale team up. (laughs) I liked that promo that I saw from them this week. And of course, uh, you know, the specialness of having Mello and, and Wesley headline as uh two african-american wrestlers i i like that and i liked the match i thought uh I, you know i really liked the match yeah, west like... balled out on this match i thought quite a bit i mean i love the finish too i just thought like mellow looked really sharp like they're they're really good that cutter that cutter that mellow yeah. did to west on the table was pretty damn special i thought i thought that was pretty great yeah carmel hayes in an era where nxt is bland and flavorless his flavor stands out and yes. you'd love to see him do like anything else anywhere else. And Chris, I am scared to death of him on the main roster. There have been rumors. No, that they'll never get up. him. Yeah. They'll never get him. And they'll, he's they'll too small. Up. And, and I think, right. You know, they'll make him like into like a basketball player. Like, like rather than just have the mellow don't miss sort of tagline, it's going to be like, uh, Oh, like Carmelo Anthony. And when, when I say that, I mean, also, WWE fans going, he's too small to be a star. And that's a fear for me because they turned on Ricochet after seeing his act for a while. And Ricochet had to refresh up. And they also blew the push of Ricochet. 
Mello ain't true. ricochet. Mello's he's got, not as he's big. got personality. He's got person a personality, and that's the thing that gets people over on the main roster is personality. See, L.A. Knight. Um, if they let him do his personality, because my other fear is the rumor was they were going to bring him up and be have him be part of this Bobby Lashley group with the Street Profits. Oh God! Where Lashley's the lead, but. Mello needs to be the spokesman of that thing. Oh no, like no, no! Gosh. He would end up being like Ashanti the Adonis. Remember him? Well, yes, but my fear is they bring him up and they go, "Well, you're small. We'll make you a manager of this Bobby Lashley faction, where you're talking, but you're never working, but you take an occasional bump, which would be a mistake because Mello's far too talented for that." Yes, yeah, so they make him MVP too, or Adam Cole with Keith Lee. You remember that rumor? Oh yeah, that's right. They were gonna make him. Yeah, they're gonna they make him a man. They're gonna make the NXT champion a manager on the main roster. What? Because they're the land of giants. Although you know, Vince ain't as big into creative, and it's you know it's becoming Hunter's playground again. So I, I could see it either way. I could either see him failing. I could see Hunt, Triple H going, "Look, I need to work hard to get this guy over. Let me accentuate what he's good at." But uh, that's all the notes I have. Do you have anything else? No, I got nothing else. I have talked myself into hoarseness, but uh, I am Jeff Hawkins. You can follow me at Crap Game 13 on X. You can also follow the show, Shake Them Ropes, all one word on X slash Twitter. I am part of the also of Fight Game Media, patreon.com slash fight game media for five bucks a month. You can hear hot takes as I thoroughly deconstruct dynamite every week on Wednesday, about 20 minutes. We go on the air on youtube live you can watch there for free but you can download the audio version by paying five bucks a month and hey i need the money um <laughs> once again patreon.com slash fight game media that's dynamite show uh chris is uh on on the gram and he's going to tell you about it now yeah i'm on instagram d-o-c-t-o-r underscore n-o-v uh if you want guitar lessons or you want to follow me uh that's that's where you can follow me on the social media I will have an announcement probably here next week about the, the new band. Like we have a band name and I'm like working on the logo and stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I like the band name. So I'll be announcing that next week. Is it the egg sucking dogs? <laughs> yeah. You idiot. You idiot. Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.